Welcome to another episode of Artifacts. I am your host, Jude Hassel. Today I had the pleasure of speaking with Bermudian contemporary artist, Calic Smith, whose artist alias is Nobody. His works add to the tapestry of cultural experiences that make up the African diaspora by creating art through an Afro-Bermudian lens. He investigates through his paintings and installations, divisions and polarity Afro-Bermudians navigate and examines the relationships these dualities have with proximity. His work is a dialogue that approaches a willingness to broach polarizing issues within the Afro-Bermudian community with vulnerability, intimacy, and empathy. Join us as he tells us about his unique journey as we discuss his passion for the arts and discusses the importance of art in Bermuda that highlights the experience of its people rather than just the physical beauty of the island. Good afternoon, Calix. Welcome to the Artifacts podcast. We're super excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. Nobody's here. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. I'd like to start off our conversation today talking a little bit about your experience living and growing up in Bermuda. I'm really interested in artists' origin stories, and I'm sure our listeners would love to hear you speak about what your experience was like growing up in such a beautiful place. I guess it was it revolved around playing a lot of sports. Um, I was tapped into football, basketball, cricket, baseball. Um, yeah, always kind of like ingrained in sports. Um, but also kind of to myself as a kid. Like I wasn't, I wasn't the quote unquote neighborhood kid. Like I wasn't just outside as everybody being outside. Right. I was pretty selective of who I hung around, and I had minimal friends outside of school. Um, spent a great deal of time uh, at my grandfather's house, and you know we would go fishing, or just sitting off and him telling stories about Earl Bermuda was just everything. Never really had a problem being by myself either, because I mean mm-hmm. had a very vivid imagination. I went Padgett Primary for one year, um, and then I finished out my primary schooling at um, Port Royal. No way you went Port Royal. I went Port Royal. Yeah, done. <laughs> like, I did not you know, know you went Port Royal. A lot of Bermudian creators went to Port Royal, and like when I was going to, like it was it was interesting. I think I had gone across Port Royal not too long ago, and it was predominantly black. And when I was going, when I was going there, it was predominantly white. And like seeing that transition and change was was a really interesting thing. Right. Like, observing that was interesting for me. Because then I would wonder, like, what did, what were these children's experiences like? Because I think mm. a part of me being sent to Port Royal was for me to kind of understand that um, there's there's more than one Bermuda, and it doesn't always look like the neighborhood I live in. Exactly. That is the yeah. absolute truth. I don't know if I even noticed it, to be honest with you. I don't even think I noticed it as a child as much. Mm-hmm. But um, definitely in my adult years, like, you can clearly see the divide, for sure. Yeah, man, like, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's like we definitely have these, um, 
we we definitely have these divides, even though there's a there's a great deal of shared proximity between everyone here in Bermuda because let's be real. It's twenty one square miles, you ain't getting nowhere. Right. But uh, <laughs> our 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 divisions um uh are managed very well. Yeah. We have we have our classism, we 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 have our racism, we have our isms. And they're deeply entrenched. Mm-hmm. And I think I think they're managed to a high extent because of our shared closeness. Like you have to work at this. Whereas like if you're in a larger place, you can set up communities and never really have to see anybody like that. It doesn't right. look like but her is more deliberate. Like it's like, yeah, we're gonna work at this and we're gonna maintain this structure mm-hmm. and this Yeah. It's it's so concentrated. And when and once you kinda once your once your third eye is open to you, you you can never go back. Unless oh, absolutely. you're trying unless you're deliberately trying to maintain the status quo. Yeah. I noticed yeah. that in your um artist statement you talk about this proximity. Um, so you you were saying that um, there needs to be a willingness to broach our more polarizing issues with vulnerability, intimacy, and empathy. How do you think, like, us as Bermudian artists, we can approach this and in some, um, in some way, shape, or form, close this gap and really tap into this idea of proximity and and what that means for us? And, like, in some way, shape, or form, kind of attack this um, social structure that exists, and it's very concrete. Like, how do we as artists like navigate that? Um. Well, I think. Well, firstly, I think we all have to find our own individual way of kind of approaching difficult conversations, mm-hmm. if 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 that's what we choose to do. Right. Um. Because fact that the matter is, some artists don't don't really want to take a socio-political stance. Um, they don't want to speak to um, the, the greater issues. Sometimes they want to hang on to um, the preservation of the idea of paradise and what that means to them. Or maybe they're just like more ingrained in the, the technical side of creating. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I guess for those that want to, um, you know, be a mirror and 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 speak to and speak up about things in the community that they're passionate about. I think you have to I think you have to first understand that you have you have to find a way to get people to bridge the gap. And I right. guess what and I guess what I mean by that is is even though we don't live single-issue lives, please believe that there are human beings that don't understand your issues because they're not a, it's not a part of their day-to-day experiences. Mm-hmm. And, so what you, and that's so, a real thing. Yeah. Like, what can you do? Because, I mean, let's be real. Like, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a pink Bermudian, like, you don't understand what it means to be black. Like, you know what I mean? You have yeah. no experience. You have you know have you have no framework or reference material or reference point to even speak on it, and so it's easy for you to 
you know, go about your day-to-day life without even taking into consideration that, you know, black Bermudians experience Bermuda in this very different way. Or mm-hmm. even, or even, you know, me being a man, I am most certainly not a woman. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? <laughs> and, so, and so my experiences as a man living in Bermuda are extremely different from being a woman. But in right. order for me to want to understand um, the female experience, like, I have to tap into it. Like, I have mm-hmm. to deliberately tap into it. Right. Um, but as an artist, you kind of you kind of have to bridge a gap with people. You so so in, so for instance, for me, what I tend to do is I try to um, I try to use proximity as a catalyst. Like even though there's this aversion to it, it's it's also the great equalizer. Let's create closeness. Mm. Um, let's let's find a way for you to kind of understand. Let's get you across the line. Um, making sure that um, when I install that space that I um, put work in, is mm-hmm. also a safe space for for discourse, um, a safe space for for us to reason and share our perspectives. Mm-hmm. It it's not a hostile space; it's an open space. Like even though I'm talking about you know income inequity and and racism and and sexual assault and and like all these uh, like and like our culture of drink like we still like I still want people to be able to speak from speak from the land yeah speak from from like their their own like gleaned experiences and then kind of come to terms with everything that that we're talking about and like that installation that you came to was was just because yeah it was i really enjoyed that and there was healthy conversation Mm -hmm. around something that we we all have to experience we're all experiencing on 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 some level right yeah but i i think it's important i think like what you're doing is absolutely necessary um for us to be able to open up um this understanding of like the issues that exist within our community there needs to be um spaces safe spaces i think that's the key though safe spaces because i think a lot of times people think that when they're talking about these kinds of things that it has to be like in a hostile manner um and nobody really wants to talk about difficult things but i think that if there's um a place that's underscored with safety i think that people would be a lot more willing and open to have these kinds of conversations that are necessary oh for sure like you know what i mean like and there's gonna be tension sometimes but you you have to you have to at least be able to receive what somebody's trying to share you don't have to take it on as fact you don't have to take it on as word like you know what i mean but you have to acknowledge the fact that it exists like acknowledging people's like experiences and perspectives is important it's not something that mm-hmm. you have to take ownership of right but we all like we all exist here right so if we all exist here um like disavowing someone's experiences is is detrimental to change yeah absolutely yeah because you're trying to move on without this perspective 
but it's her and that perspective isn't just like it's it's an, it doesn't exist in a silo like this person has shared their ideas and the ideals of someone else that I'm pretty sure agrees with them so you know disavowing like what not acknowledging what they think and believe or feel means that you're not acknowledging a group of people mm-hmm. so how do you so how do you move on in a healthy way if you're not even willing to acknowledge that that thing exists? Right. It hasn't been acknowledged. Like there, there's this, almost like this distancing. So it was interesting that you talk about this idea of like proximity. It's like um, people distance themselves from real life issues that may or may not affect their own group and or other groups that are experiencing different things. And this is how oppression manifests when we choose not to see each other. This creates an ongoing conflict that at some point it's going to bubble over and become an even larger issue. I think our closeness is important um, in the sense of like, it's like in creating change because we can see each other. Like even though Bermuda is like still highly segregated, we still see each other. There's no way that we can't see each other. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I just want people to embrace the closeness for the greater good of like mm-hmm. health change, healthy long-term systemic change on the island. Like I said before, like people have been able to entrench themselves and sequester themselves in a way where they don't have to, they don't even have to think about or even see other people and the issues that they say. Man, mm-hmm. fuck, let's be one hundred. Like African Americans have been telling telling the world that law enforcement is out to get them. The general consensus of people that aren't. Ex- that weren't experiencing that or didn't understand that from the, from like the framework of literally being black, being a human being of African descent was like, Oh, it's full of shit. It ain't that bad. I don't have these experiences with police. I don't know what you're talking about. Like even coming back to Bermuda, I always think it's interesting. Like I remember, um, working on a piece in collaboration with two artists, um, one is a videographer, photographer by the name of Rohan Shastri, um, mm-hmm. and the other is a writer and a poet um, named Matthew Johnson. And we were talking about uh, well, we used we used uh, a historical reference point to have a contemporary conversation about race, um, right. and we we created this collaborative work um around our strengths so i'm a conceptual artist so the concept is at the root of everything that i do rohan is 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 a photographer and a videographer so we're utilizing his skill set and we're using the spoken word of matthew johnson and we talked about gibbet island um a lot of people a lot of bermudians didn't even you know understand gibbet island's history and what the word gibbet meant like it's so funny because like we like we don't think about um the names of places and roads and things, even right. though they come from this very strong colonial reference point. Like mm-hmm. like gibbeting is a term, like for public torture. Like literally. Like Gibbet Island where police beach is, was literally used to terrorize Afro Bermudians. And it speaks to the way that we you share our history. Like, I think I think Afro Bermudian history has been um, 
to a high degree has been successfully whitewashed. Oh, um, because these are things that we should know, right? But unfortunately, um, we don't. Because plus, like, I didn't know that that was a legacy of um, Gibbet Island until um, Rohan came to me with it because Rohan loves history. Right. Um, and so kind of how the project came about was he had these, he wanted to do something site-specific, utilizing time-lapse on mm-hmm. um, these different places. And he was just, like, he just asked me to see what we could actually come up with. And for me, I'm, I'm, I think I'll, I'm always going to kind of attach myself to um, these kind of, like, these narratives around blackness. Right. Cause that's, that's, yeah, because that's what my work is ingrained in, right? So mm-hmm. you guys, you guys, you guys use that conversation about Jibbet Island to talk about how it influences our contemporary life. That's really cool. Do you have um, links and stuff to that project? I would love to check that out. Yeah, Don, I'll share it with you. Okay, definitely. And I'll also, like, put it in the notes, the show notes, so that other people can reference it as well. Um, yeah, so it's incredible what you were saying in terms of, like, how our Afro-Bermudian history has been whitewashed, and I completely agree with that. I mean, when I'm thinking about, like, you know, just some of the things that I learned or didn't learn in school, I remember I went to Dockyard the other day, and I visited the museum, and some of the stuff that I had seen, I had never heard about before, ever. And I'm just thinking to myself, wow, I've lived here my entire life, and so much history about Black Bermudians I just don't know it. It's interesting because I feel like even other people that I know just don't know some of the history. It's been like strategic in terms of like whatever they put in like the school books for us to learn and stuff. When we were in school, we were learning American history and not Bermudian history. And I think that that's crazy for us to be continuously learning about other people, Bermudians. I feel like are disconnected from our history because we were never told. Yeah, it's deliberate. Has it's to be deliberate. deliberate. Because like if you think about how racism functions as a system, yeah, it infiltrates it infiltrates our schools. Um yeah. yeah, it's it's disseminating information that props up the the more I guess like benign narrative that the oppressive group wishes to kind of set up it mm-hmm. it stops people from being revolutionaries when they don't know who they are they don't know what the elders have experienced right yeah i'm gonna tell you it's deliberate Don. like yeah like i totally it, believe that yeah absolutely it it has to be though when you think about when you look at how the education system is very much so linked with even even the workforce and the way that that's set up in bermuda as well it's like a stream that, like, this thing is interconnected with this, for sure. And this you know, leads to that. One thing, let me tell you, like, the UBP, at one point in time in their history, when they were in power, they were trying to, they were trying to promote this, this non-fact that, that slavery in Bermuda was benign. Like, they were, they were actively trying to, like, propagate this, this falsehood. Like right. they were literally trying to say that, oh, nah, don't you know, slaves worked in close proximity to to the owners, and it was hunky dory, and it wasn't so bad. And it's like, but we have we have the diary of Mary Prince, 
You know yeah, what I'm we saying? do. We have, we, have, <laughs> we, have, we have the experience of Sally Bassett. What are you talking about benign? You know what I'm saying? We have Gibbet Island. Mm-hmm. That's not benign. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. What the fuck? And then the ownership of human beings is not a benign thing. Like, slavery is not benign. And so it's just kind of like, you, you're watching the apparatus, like you're, you're watching this thing kind of like try and sweep over and create a narrative shift. I'm just happy that I'm, that I'm existing in an era where, where I think young black comedians and, and even some of our elders are very dead set on having this truthful conversation. Yeah. It's rooted in like accumulated, the accumulated experiences that created us. Like mm-hmm. you don't, we don't have any like tangible understanding of being property. But right. looking at that slave registrar, it goes straight through your spine. Yeah, you know what I, mean? I wanted to ask you, like, how do you think, like, us as artists, we can <laughs> talk about these kinds of complex issues that relate to race and relate to, you know, just our experiences, share collective experiences as Black people, and make work that is steeped in identity and like who we are and our experiences how how do you suggest like artists connect on a deeper level with like our heritage and like weave that some way shape or form into our work i'm a books human like i like books um or just reading in general i think i think for me my my best reference point isn't necessarily visual uh it's the written word Mm-hmm. Um, even though, even though I use visual art as reference material to, to understand what is happening, because it's it's such a it's such a powerful powerful medium within itself, right? Yeah. But but the written word, I think for me, fleshes out and explains a lot of things, and and I also appreciate careers of the world. These writers, you know, tell stories and have left stories for us to kind of pick up on and 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 kind of understand self with. I guess the other thing is, is like you you have to go on an individual journey that is very very much deliberate and you have to know what's best for you how you um imbibe information and retain information because like for me like when I say books I mean books like tangible books like right books. <laughs> We live, we live in this technological age. So if that means it's like downloading PDFs on a Kindle, that's what you gotta do. Mm-hmm. Um, if it, if if you're more of a visual learner, then you go down the YouTube pipeline or you watch right. documentaries, and like it's just imbibing the whole kind of like. I guess for me, even though I'm saying placing emphasis on reading in books, I would say that it's like. Um, you make yourself open to the vastness of the black experience. For me, it's not just reading books. Right now, I'm really interested in the narratives of the diaspora. I read and I look at and I listen to the African diasporic experience wherever it exists. I read books written by Edwidge Danticat. She's Haitian in origin. I'm starting to, I want to know more about the Afro-Cuban experience. I'm really tapped into um, the Afro-Brazilian experience. 
it's just important for me to kind of like understand because I know that we're not experiencing our blackness in a silo, even though it's right. like we're dealing with and struggling with and living with and, and loving like these very different experiences because of where we're positioned geographically. There's, mm-hmm. there's a great deal of like intersection that's happening. And it just makes me feel good to understand that somebody maybe in Cuba or Brazil or Puerto Rico or Jamaica or in Barbados is like having these same ideas and thoughts. Yes. Yeah. Like I have no greater proximity to them apart from whatever art they've left behind or left for me. And that's what's so amazing though about the diaspora is that we all have similar experiences, even though we could be, you know, like halfway across the world because of that commonality and that the ability to trace ourselves back to Africa as, you know, diasporic subjects, like we we all have these like incredible commonalities. And I think it's important for us to be able to see what those things are for us to feel like a larger connection with other people. Yeah, man. Like as far as like, and artists kind of going about this whole experience of creating black art. It's definitely rooted in deliberately wanting to know yourself mm-hmm. by, you know, taking in information, but also, you know, like sitting down and having conversations with your immediate elders, like your yeah. grandparents, your great grandparents, mm-hmm. your uncles, because like they're a part of that shared experience. Like I was. And they have I, so much knowledge too. They have so yeah. much knowledge that they could pass on to us as well. I was grateful as a kid to have a grandparent that always liked to tell stories about mm-hmm. what it's growing up in, in a World War II Bermuda. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's a different experience that I would never understand and know. I don't know what it's like to live under um, legalized discrimination. Like, you know what I'm saying? Legalized right. segregation. But he did. And so... Like, those, those past experiences helped inform my understanding of, like, the world that I'm living in, and that within itself also informs my art. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other thing is, is like, yo, move with empathy and compassion. Yes. Like, Literally, yeah, that's, that's like, what it's about, honestly. Yeah, I think that's very important. Us as artists, as Black artists, we're making work that's steeped in compassion, like you said, and love you could feel that like there are some artists and which I also wanted to ask you about as well but there are some artists when I see their work I can literally feel the love in their work Word. Like, just looking at it I could feel it and so I wanted to ask you like who are some artists that have been influential to you and your artistic practice and you know have these artists in some way shape or form like really shaped the ways in which you work in your studio. Oh, right. I could touch on a few. Oh, I just want to add one more thing. And I think this is important for Black artists. Um, I think it's important to say this. Blackness is not a monolith. Blackness mm-hmm. is an accumulation of experiences that, that make up a whole. So I don't yes. think there's a right or wrong way to be Black. You just are. And whatever right. the experience <laughs> is, Whatever that experience is, is going to add to the whole narrative. Don't think that you have to be rigid or stuck in certain ideals if you don't agree with them. Um, just be yourself. Be your most yeah. authentic self. 
and whatever that looks like and however that's represented in your work, just make sure that you're comfortable with what you're giving the world. Surely, I want you to move and care, but the fact of the matter is, is that all black people do not think alike. But right. in relation, but in relation to, the, <laughs> to the artistic expression, um, they should be allowed to still share their ideals and beliefs, even if I don't necessarily agree with them, because mm-hmm. I understand that it's a part of the whole. Yes, I'm going to snap on that one because I, I think you're so right about that. Like, we're so multifaceted and we have so many complexities. And, they're, like, we exist on a spectrum. Like, it's not just, like, we're not just, like you say, a monolithic. Like, we have so oh, many that. different things that make make us up. So many layers, so many experiences that create us individually as a person that ultimately adds to the larger collective. So, like you said, I completely agree. Facts is completely reductive to think to think and believe that blackness is supposed to fit within one certain kind of framework so I'm mm-hmm. normally wary of people that believe and think this because it's, yeah, it's not true and it's, it's not true to my experiences it's not true to many people that I know like their experience mm-hmm. the kind yeah. of like getting that kind of ideas it I think it's dangerous I completely agree that whoever you are whatever your experiences are like we don't have to fit into a box you know we can right. exist on the spectrum live your whole motherfucking truth then but getting back to your question about artists that inspire or i admire and how it affects the way that i create or well, just recently funny enough i stumbled on this website by being um linked to it on instagram mm-hmm. i believe pronounced Sunu, Sunu Journal. I could be yes. wrong. Yes, I follow them as well. I okay. love this site. I love it. Right. <laughs> okay, so I've been tapped into the website and I've been reading as of late, like, because like, I kind of got blocked a little bit. I haven't been reading a whole lot. So I came across this while I was bored late one night, and then I was like, oh, shit, these essays are actually really dope. Mm-hmm. Um, I stumbled across... Um, an artist named Ernest Coe. Um, okay. And he was a photographer who was creating during um, the apartheid era in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And the, the lengths at which he went to kind of um, shed light on the experiences of his people are just epic, done. Like, epic. Um, right. You know, getting yourself arrested and smuggling a camera so you can you can document the experiences of, of people that are being that are being detained and imprisoned. Um, going into areas where you're not legally allowed to be in to to document the living conditions of domestic workers and documenting their experiences and, and photographing them because photography is such a powerful medium for change. Yeah, it is. Um, and he and he was a catalyst for that change. I couldn't even um, print this book in South Africa because he knew that if he tried to print it, it would have been banned off rip. He would have been labeled as a political dissident and he would have either got ex- exiled or imprisoned. So he mm-hmm. printed that shit outside of South Africa and it gained all this traction. Because it's like, yo, right. look at what my people are going through. Look at how my people are living. 
Right. And then look at how they treat me while I'm trying to show you where it was happening to us. Mm-hmm. Like that girl had to leave South Africa. Like he was in exile. I think about the Ernest Curls, um, the IRA Rays, um, I think about the Emory Douglases and and what I'm actually trying to do and say as an artist. Right. It's always a deliberate everything's deliberate for me. And I think with these artists, like their actions are very deliberate. Um, the well thought out, and you know what I mean. They they move to act on these, whatever they conceptualize or whatever they're trying to say, act on it. And that's what I try to do as an do as an installation artist. Like I think I think about Ai Weiwei when I'm talking about like site specific installation. Like why am I here, and what do I have to say here? What a what is somebody's history about this space, or if it doesn't have much history, like what is what is its purpose in our contemporary lives? And I try to you know be mindful of those things when I'm installing. Right. Wow, that's amazing. And um, some of these artists that you have mentioned, I've actually never heard of. So I'm definitely I'm gonna look some of them up because um, that project sounds really really interesting art is just it's one of those tools that can be used to say such a powerful thing in mm-hmm. a way that other mediums can't so i wanted to ask you like why do you think art is such a powerful tool to comment on social and political issues it it speaks to to the multitude of ways that we actually learn right like mm-hmm. you know, if they can see, learn visually, like it's it's highly impactful. The symbolism that's rooted in a lot of protest art is is highly impactful and profound in the way that you're trying to like, because it's like you're you're encapsulating something, right? You're you're trying to you're trying to find the best way to harness your message and speak to this like broader thing that that you can talk about on end, like art allows us to find a multitude of ways of having a conversation because not everybody's yes. going to be moved by what you create but you will move somebody because they get it and that's what's interesting too about you know like social commentary through art and that was like one of the things that you did particularly for the biennial uh, we're both actually in the Bermuda biennial this year congratulations to you on that Yes, congrats to you on that. But I, I wanted to ask you about that piece because it definitely is a political piece. I loved it. When I had seen it, I didn't know whose it was. I And I had already told you this already. But yeah, I didn't know whose it was. And I thought it was so powerful because, for one, it was aesthetically beautiful because, you know, that's ideal, serene Bermuda. But the fact that you put, like, this political statement, like, right in the middle, I thought it was just brilliant. I thought it was amazing so i wanted to ask you the motivations behind this particular piece that you have in the biennial word if that piece is called um i forget it was a response to a response i think the way that bermudian artists collectively responded to what april branco was going through with Mm -hmm. the corporation in relation to her mural that she was commissioned to do, we needed to rise up and and respond in kind. 
like it raised a lot of conversations. It, like it raised conversations about artist exploitation. Um, it raised conversations about race, and yeah. it raised conversation about public protest and 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 spaces that are acceptable for black people to to be in. And then to even see that there was public outcry to keep it, you know, like April brought it to the forefront and was like, yeah, this is what happened. And, you know, people were starting off because they didn't, because the piece was almost finished, just kind of halted. And so... I remember yeah. that. I was very upset about that particular yeah, situation. Man. The way that it was handled was so shitty. And we have to think about the unfortunate relationship that artists in Bermuda have with, like, people in positions of power. And and kind of like shifting the status quo because I don't think that what April created was offensive or um It wasn't. Or, it was beautiful. Or, <laughs> it yeah. was a beautiful piece. Like I could understand if like I was commissioned to do a mural and and I decided to make changes and they were approved and then they didn't like the changes that I make because I know that, you know, like a lot of my work tends to be synonymous with controversy, even though that's not what I'm trying to do, right? I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm trying to have an honest conversation about some bullshit that I see. And so so after the after April's mural was whitewashed, we saw a what I would interpret as a as a ephemeral installation um, because it wasn't something that was painted on it, it was letters stuck onto the wall and the phrase was very poignant and profound artistic freedom doesn't exist in a sanitized paradise right like that sh- like that shit is ether level fire yeah kind of like yeah done let's speak to it 100 mm-hmm. and what I thought was really interesting about the installation itself was is that people could still engage with it. It's not something that was spray-painted on a wall. It's these letters stuck to the wall. So if somebody didn't like it, they could immediately interact with it. So it was interesting because when um, a representative of the, the um, corporation kind of reacted and responded to it, they spoke to leaving it there because one, it wasn't, and I, I'm paraphrasing, but one, it wasn't, um, it wasn't something that was permanently on the wall, so they weren't going to seek legal action. And then they said they were going to leave it up because mm-hmm. they didn't want to, you know. Um, I think they just wanted things to die down, and I guess right. if they had packed it up without immediately responding to it and removing it. Mm-hmm. I, it seemed like the best tactical move for them. But what was interesting in, in the comments of this individual, I can't remember his name, but um, the, the people that left that installation also, you know, left their name and quoted themselves. S-O-C-K apostrophe collective. And this person spoke, spoke to what they believed was a fact that, you know, they didn't even know how to spell a curse word right. <laughs> and, and it's like and it's like if this Bimpert understood like Afro Bermudian vernacular English, they'll understand mm-hmm. that fuck F O C K. Like right. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. I, don't, I thought it was like I thought it was really brilliant and smart that these love did this. But the fact that fuck apostrophe the collective should have let you know that the collective name the collective's name is fuck. 
Like, come on. Like, but <laughs> you, you scoffed at it. It was you brilliant. At it. Yeah. It was brilliant. They scoffed at it, and then they ripped the collector's name off. Right. Not that it was profane and obscene, but they literally removed the collector's name. And I thought that was really interesting. And so, like, I had some photographs of it, and okay. I thought that it would have been... I thought, like, for me, I thought it was an, a really important moment in our mm-hmm. history, uh, Brazilian yeah. art history. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of disappointed in the lack of, um, the lack of solidarity um, from the arts community at whole, because I think a lot of us have experienced what it's like, what I would interpret as being bullied by people in positions of power, not right. being paid everything that you, because I mean, like real talk, April had to return that money when she got for the, for that own commission. Oh, you know wow. I, mean? I didn't even realize you know, that. Yeah, man, wow. there's months. They, they strung on that woman, like, you know what I mean? And she stood up for herself and I'm like super proud of her. Yeah. But, but like you said, like there there could have been more support from other artists within the community of her. Oh, sure, don't like yeah. And and it's mugged because like other artists that were commissioned by them pressed on with the you know visual arts project, and then and then there was another mural put up in its place that I don't necessarily like aesthetically. Okay, so one thing is like. April is probably one of my favorite technically, technically proficient painters on the island. She's a G. I, I love her aesthetic. It's, yes. It's, it's very much akin to April. Her love of the H&H troupe and her following and using reference images and, and also, you know, repatriating funds back to the H&H because she's using them as reference material and understands mm-hmm. that, like, you know, Gombe is also art and artist. Yes. And and if you're if you're, you know, using the likeness without getting the consent or or monetarily compensating them, then you're appropriating and you're stealing. Yeah. And she doesn't and she doesn't do that. And that's you know beautiful. I, mean? I thought that that yeah. was amazing that she does she that. Moves, she moves in a really ethically sound ethically sound way. Mhm. So watching this person get treated like this publicly Nah, I'm not here for that shit. Like, I'm genuinely not here for that shit. It's, and mm-hmm. there's a multitude of conversations that could be had with this piece. Even the way that we treat black women in Bermuda is not. Right. It's not up to par. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you're talking about a demographic of our society that actually does really well. Um, Black Bermudian women are, like, the, the breadwinners, the earners. Like, you know what yep. I'm saying? Yeah. Women that do extremely well in Bermuda. Yeah, it's one of our stronger demographics. Yeah. And to to, to see this this black woman be treated like this, I wasn't gonna stand for it. Even though like she doesn't need me to protect her. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm I'm standing in solidarity because mm-hmm. like, this is this is fucked up. Again, like it's deliberate for me. Like when I'm looking at an installation site, the Bermuda National Gallery exists within the confines of the corporation's property. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's like, I also know that the, the biennial platform isn't something that they're going to be able to intrude into and pull that work down. Right. 
Like, you know what I'm saying? So, it, so it needed to be, that, that political work needed to be in a space that would allow it to exist there without the risk of it being destroyed. Right. In its fullness conversation, in its entirety, because yeah. clearly that, that wasn't something that we could do. And because of, like, you know, the power dynamics at play, it's something that we couldn't do. Right. Yeah, let's be real with it. So, and then also, it's like, um, with this new direction in digital collage that I'm trying to go into, it's, it's, it's always helping people to understand that what is centered is what I believe is more important or what we need to focus more on. What finds itself more to the periphery of the piece is the shit that we pay too much attention to and we need to get away from it because like Bermuda loves to kind of like hold up the illusion of paradise to it. Yeah, it does. <laughs> culturally. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not here for those conversations. Like there are, there are a great deal of artists that, you know, kind of perpetuate that theme and that narrative of paradise. And I don't have to, be a part of that at all or if I'm a part of that conversation I want to talk about how much of a hindrance it can be to progress Mm. yeah and And I definitely believe you're doing that for sure that piece was so powerful and what I just loved about it it was just so it was subtle but it said so much the fact that you situated that image like right in the center you literally drew the viewer in like this is what's important not all this stuff on the side which is what is a distraction for us not getting to the root of the issues that exist within Bermuda. But this is the real problem. This here in the middle, look at this. <laughs> so That's I just indeed. loved it. Cause it's not something that you could like deliberately stand afar from in order to get the, get the fullness of the message that I was trying mm-hmm. to communicate. Mm-hmm. You literally had to kind of walk up on this thing and immerse yourself in it. Right. And that's where you're getting closer and closer to this idea of proximity that you're exploring in your work as well. I'm humble and I'm gracious and I'm grateful. I really appreciate that coming from you. Of course, no worries. I did want to ask you one final question before we wrap this up. But what's next sure. for you in the future? What's next? Um, well, right now, I'm just trying to be a little bit better about the business of being an artist. Um, um, working on, I'm working on this, this new digital collage aesthetic. There are, there are other projects that I'm kind of tapped into because I love to collaborate. I'm a collaborative artist. Right. So, yeah. With social distancing and, you know, pandemic 2020, it's, it's allowing me to kind of, um, tackle, other people's projects or at least be a part of other people's projects so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really excited and now I can kind of like give some time to stuff that I've put to the side and fully immerse myself in digital collage like you yeah. and like you are like a catalyst for me like finally jumping jumping into collage because remember when, when we were sitting off with um with my homie Joe and yes. we were at um yeah and we were at Devil's Isle it's yeah. like, we were talking and you telling me, like, yeah, I love your collage work. And you're like, yeah, come on, like, yeah, you could do it, like, jump into it. And then, you know, sharing your influences and and then me kind of going back to some of these artists and seeing what they do and seeing the um, 
the great potential in collage, but mm-hmm. also have to understand that I'm very much of a minimalist at heart. So right. how do we take this medium or this technique that can be very busy at times and quiet it to my sensibilities in a sense? Right. And then that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, because collage is a very busy medium. You know, you're you're piecing together like different ideas from different things. And to be able to use collage and minimalize that, like that's a skill. That's definitely a skill. Um, and I think it's exciting, like, to see you working in that medium. Like, I mean, I'm a collage fanatic, like that's like my thing. You you know this right. like I love it. And so when I saw that it was your, that's what I'm saying. When I saw that that was your piece in the show, I was so excited for the possibility of like what it could open up for you. Your intellect, like marrying your intellect with that kind of medium, I think it could be like explosive. So I'm excited to see what you come up with next. Yo, and not to pat myself on the back, but I, I think you're right. I think, I think your encouragement helps because um, it's something that I have been entertaining for years, you know, but really? hadn't immersed, yeah, but I hadn't immersed myself in it. Um, and then also, like I do this thing where I move from from aesthetic to aesthetic very fastly, mm-hmm. just like because like a part of my work has. Like, I've also called it brevity. Like, I don't need a lot. I just right. need to say this now in, in the way that I need to say it. Mm-hmm. But now, um, like, there's the possibilities that are opened up through collage and, you know, me trying to mold it to my sensibilities. Like, sky's the limit. And Yeah, I'm you could say so much more. You could yeah, say more. And, and it's crazy because it's like, now I want to day and existence this thing for an extended period of time because I'm also using my phone as a reference point so like all my most of my reference images come from my phone right photos that you've taken yep photos that I've taken or things that I've kind of gleaned on the internet and then extrapolated certain things from them right but more often than not like it's pictures so you know doing the whole social distancing socializing thing it was like I was done on um, Chaplin Bay the other day and so I was just walking around taking reference images and then what I wanted or like pulling from pulling images that I wanted out of those images and I'm like yo this collage thing is fucking filthy done because like, I love like, it I, I really love yeah, it because it's like you you're taking your concepts and you're imposing them on on this thing that isn't so rigid, like because mm-hmm. I didn't have to use the whole photograph. I could take a little piece of it, right. and then it becomes really. part of this greater part of something else, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. So literally, for the past week, all I've been doing is taking photographs and then um, using um, my my editing app to to crop bits and pieces out of it, and then those become my reference images, and then. I go to a, I collaborate with a friend, my brethren, my brethren has, but we also have like, like very similar design sensibilities, but mm-hmm. always working with him. And so like, he was the one that helped me bring that image to fruition. 
So it's like I just sent him the like the biennial piece. Mm-hmm. He usually wants mm-hmm. to bring it to fruition. So it's just kind of like, yeah, we send it over, we talk about it, and then we piece it together. But like I already have an, I always, I always have an idea of what it's supposed to look like right. through color, through color and composition, and 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 marrying these images to make a whole. And then what's dope about like what's dope about has is because we have similar sensibilities, he can like. I'm always open to critique. So right. he'd be like, yeah, what about this and what about that? And then we just create, like, he's literally my Dr. Dre, Don. Like, he's <laughs> my, my DJ premiere. He's your mixer, like, your producer. Um, he's my, my mad lip. Like, I like guess real talk. Like, the stuff that I've been able to create with him has been really awesome. But now yeah. it's just taking greater responsibility for... um for what that aesthetic is going to look like going forward. I just want to spend mm-hmm. more time with it. And I just want to see what I can do in relation to collage. With That's the- exciting. That's so exciting yeah. because now, like, we're talking, we're not just talking about collage. We're talking about you moving into photography and you moving yeah. into graphic design. So it's, like, really opening up so many different possibilities for you to go into. Word. And plus, like, you know, like, being an artist in Burmese is expensive as fuck, then. Yes, it so is. Flying up with canvases and shit and getting all these materials. But mm-hmm. I think moving into the digital medium and then only having to worry about, you know, getting a print made, even though that's flipping expensive here, too. Yeah. It's just kind of like, it allows me to um, move a little bit differently. I'm going to have yeah. to find a print company abroad because it's crazy over here in these Burmese streets, then. It hurts, man. We need to start getting like cultural facilitators that have got like disposable income and like giving it to artists. I think there need to be more grants. Um right. I think there just needs to be more money thrown around in relation to art, but also in relation to like Afro Bermudian artists. Because I think mm-hmm. there are artists in Bermuda that that couldn't even empathize with what we're talking about right now. Because right. Right. that's money the thing. isn't an issue for them. Mm-hmm. There are some artists that I talk to, and they're like, "Yo, cow, so much money out here." And I'm like, "What? What are you talking about?" <laughs> and so now it's like, you know, having proximity to these people and seeing how, like, you know, the finesse and being a creative in Burma and being able to get funding and, like, you know, mm-hmm. there's there's the Bermuda Art Council and you know the Legacy Fund and all of that there. But I just think there's there could always be more done. Like, yeah. It's always be more. be more yeah always be more but it is crazy though like just trying to navigate how to uh, manage being an artist the, the cost of it and that's why I think patronage is so important um yeah. and you know available grants and things like that like literally artist resources that we could utilize because without the money is it becomes almost damn near impossible especially like first starting out to be able to afford to even make the work but it's so necessary though like the work needs to be made you know so um the resources we just need more we need more of them please believe nobody agrees with you to the fullest extent that i can possibly agree with you like (laughs) because it's a lot because it's like you shouldn't have to you know put yourself in a hole in order to create and then it's also it's like when you talk about patronage that's important and i'm and i've been thinking about other ways to kind of like get revenue and when i was a part of like um 
Bermudian artists rise up, um, Baru project based collective, like we had a um we had an exhibition centralized around a performance piece. And I mean the fact of the matter is is that, you know, performance artists have 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 different challenges in relation to generating revenue. So right. we 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 literally, you know what I mean, made people pay 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 for tickets or pay at the door. And then people were mm-hmm. like, and it was weird to watch people complain. Like, people were legitimately complaining. They were like, yeah, Don, I don't understand. This is an art show. Why am I going to pay for it? Wait, what? <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people in Bermuda don't want to patronize the arts, but they want to be immersed in it. Right. Yeah, this shit does not grow on trees, Don. <laughs> Let's be 100. Really don't. It really Unless don't. It's... Unless you're creating art that grows on trees, and then it's just like that's just an <laughs> argument of the window. But it's just like <laughs> right. I just genuinely think that we we as artists should be very creative in the way that we um we receive funds for what we do, and I think yeah. demanding that demanding that um that the art enthusiast and the viewer must patronize our exhibitions and our shows is is a way forward. Mm-hmm. You know? And then it's even definitely a way forward. And I also think in relation to some of these museums, if you're gonna ask an artist to exhibit in your space, then there should be shared revenue, especially if people are paying to come and see. Yeah. You think about you're paying rent and you're giving up a commission. What? Right. Yo, and then it's like it's not even and then it's not even at a similar standard that other art galleries can function and operate in relation to, like, you know, you paying them rent and, you know, giving them a commission for work. So, like, there's work that goes into all of that. Yeah. So, like, I'm I'm kind of great. I'm grateful for, like, you know, knowing gallery directors like Nzinga Ming, mm-hmm. who's trying to be at the forefront of, like, meaningful change in relation to the relationships between um, art galleries and artists. Right. Yeah, Don. It's just love nothing. Yeah, yeah it's love a love. Pay for art, man. If you like art, pay for art. Yes, please pay for art. <laughs> but you know what's also interesting too, though, for us as artists, I think we have to also be creative and thinking about ways in which we can create a sustainable practice. Um, because maybe for the first five to ten years of our careers we may not be seeing the money that we should be seeing. So I think us as artists, like we have to literally sit down and think about ways that we can create different streams of revenue and income for ourselves so that we can sustain our artistic practice. And so that we're not having to really become like these starving artists because we don't have to be, you know? So I think like we have to be creative in terms of creating multiple streams of income for ourselves. Word, well. and I had to learn that the hard way, for real, for real. Yeah, it's it's tough out here. It's definitely tough, but it's important. I think, like, 
learning about just how to manage finances like you were saying literally the business of art us as artists we need to know about these kinds of things conversations like this i think will then in turn like bring this to the forefront of people's thoughts kind of acting like a catalyst to inspire people to come up with different creative ways that they can generate different kinds of income big facts i think i'm gonna have to talk to my brethren at the new college to see if they can actually make that a course the business of yeah. art Yes, it needs to be. It needs to be. Yeah, man. Because I didn't go to art school, but I'm not necessarily sure if, and I'm pretty sure there are classes around it, but I think that's important because if you're an artist and you're trying to be an entrepreneur or you're not trying to plug yourself into two systems um, that are already in place, then you mm-hmm. need to learn this, learn and know the business of art. So why not yeah. do that when you're getting your degree so yeah. you can run running? Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely important for us. We need sustainable practices in order to make the work, to be, to be able to afford to make the work. I think that if we have creative ways that we are generating income for ourselves, it alleviates the stress. So I think a lot of times people leave their creative careers because they're so stressed about how they're going to make ends meet that they just completely abandon it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we just need to take the initiative to ensure that we have other sources of income, especially at, at the beginning when, you know, we're just starting out. Real tough. But Calix, like this honestly has been incredible. Like you have opened my eyes up to so many different things. Many artists that I have never heard about before, I'm going to definitely check out. You're super inspirational. And honestly, like we need to have more of these reasoning sessions. Is there anything else that you want to plug right now? Like your social media? Well, I guess my Twitter just, you know, look for nobody, all caps. Um, My gram nobody underscore is underscore socrates well i'm excited to see what you have in store like we were saying the the possibilities are endless in terms of this new medium that you're going to be working with so i'm wishing you all the best with that and the feeling is mutual i wish you the best can't wait to see what you what you cook up thank you so much this has been amazing thanks a lot i appreciate being here please share with friends subscribe and rate us on itunes If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us online at theartifacts.com and on Instagram at theartifacts. If you'd like to send us a message or to suggest an artist that you'd like to see on the show, please connect with us at theartifacts at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you our upcoming episodes. Peace and blessings. This recording is copyrighted by Jade Hassel and all rights are reserved.